Welcome to Get A Move On, the podcast for movement lovers who are fed up with their injuries and want to enhance their all-round health. On this podcast, I'll help you change how you think about pain and illness so you can drop the frustration and move freely. I'm Amy, an osteopath turned yoga teacher and mindset coach. On this pod, I'll be talking about the joys of pain, injury and illness, the mind-body connection and how they relate to our movement practice so you can get a move on. And we're live. Hey everyone and welcome to this week's episode of Get A Move On with Amy Slevin. Hello! Hey, well listen, as always I'm Jamie and I'm helping to co-host the podcast. We've had a week of learning, I think, and we're going to start with sharing what we've learned. Ames, what's been going on? Okay, so this week I've been doing intensive handstand training four hours a day, which I obviously love to do and I've done it several times over the last uh, 12 years, I guess. And I haven't done any actual like proper handstand training, obviously, since like pre-lockdown. And so I was a little out of shape and a bit out of condition. And even though I've been doing like my own handstand stuff, it's not quite the same because normally I just do like one handstand here in the kitchen when I'm waiting for the kettle to boil as a, like a little movement snack. Or I might just do like a short session, but never anything as quite as strong as this. And it kind of got me thinking about a lot of stuff. One of the things was the idea of persistence. Like I've been doing handstands for, you know, as I said, like 12 years, you know, the only way to get good at something or to achieve something is through persistence. We'll kind of go into that shortly. On day one of handstands, we haven't been doing that much of it. And I feel a little tweak in my bloody shoulder. And I'm like, oh, really? Yeah. So that wasn't very fun. So then it got me thinking about like acute injuries and how we deal with them, how I as an individual deal with them and how I talk about injuries. And so I went on this whole kind of like journey <laughs> this week of a little shoulder injury, which kind of freaked me out in the beginning because I was like, fuck, this is day one. And then the, all this kind of stuff, like I'm doing flying trapeze soon, another favorite summer activity. So those are kind of like things that came into my mind this week. Yeah, you don't want to do your shoulder if you're doing handstands. Or flying trapeze. Or flying. You know, it's funny, I've never thought about the mechanics of flying trapeze before. <laughs> so when you had the injury on day one, presumably that was quite frustrating because it's your first handstand intensive course for a while. And it's like, oh, I was going to get all of this stuff out of this week. And all of a sudden, the amount you can get out is presumably limited. Kind of. It was more like, uh-oh, what does this mean for the rest of my summer? <gasps> Oh my God, you're like a footballer who's just about to miss a really busy spell of football over Christmas. They've been a hamstring on November the 25th. And they think, oh my God, we've got seven games in December. That's the key period. Pretty much, exactly. And I was like, shit, like, am I going to not be able to do flying trapeze for a second year in a row? Uh-oh. You're like Glastonbury, two years out in a row. I mean, imagine those fields now. They must be lush. They must be so lush. <laughs> Which will be great for all of three hours next year. <laughs> I imagine it's like, you know, they say a reputation takes a lifetime to build, but one minute to ruin. I bet you the glass of Glastonbury kind of has a similar shape. <laughs> Probably. Anyway, so those are like just a couple of things I've been thinking about a lot. And I've had my little sort of injury journey this week that I'm going to talk about. But I also want to talk about like we've had a little feedback from some listeners. So a friend of mine pointed out that I think it's on the Apple podcasts. We're rated as clean. Shit. <laughs> Which I was like, who rated that? Because I don't think they've been listening. There's a fair amount of gratuitous swearing. Yeah. I mean, I love just chucking in a bit of a swear word every now and again. It just comes quite naturally to me. So I just thought we should say don't necessarily 
take that cleanness as biblical. Reflective of the nature of the podcast. There's different types of podcasts, to be honest. And the ones where you end up talking to each other as opposed to talking to the audience, I think end up sounding better. But they also end up being more of your natural speaking. You're someone not dissimilar to me who can occasionally swear. Ames, I want to get into the point about persistence, though. I mean, I was literally thinking about this earlier today. 95% of life is just showing up consistently. And that'll be true in all contexts. And we'll get onto it in the movement context. But I was thinking, like, there's effectively two things that stop you showing up consistently. And one of them we talk about a lot. And that's effectively not really liking what you're doing. It's very hard to be consistent when half of the time it's shit and you still have to show up. You really have to like it to put up with that. And then the second thing that stops you showing up consistently is any big charge, mental health issue, anxiety, depression, fear. That stuff's real. And that stuff also stops you showing up, even if you really like something. And the people who do show up week in, week out, I don't know, I'm speculating. I wonder if they sort of find themselves being at least that internal environment is fairly settled or balanced or consistent or something such that it facilitates just total consistency. I could be totally wrong about that. Hmm. Interesting. Well, I was watching Steve Jobs talking about, you know, this like famous speech that he gave or something. I don't know. (laughs) And in it, he basically says that if you don't love what you do, it's going to be a lot harder to show up and get stuff done, basically, because you're going to be put off when there are obstacles in your way. And I think that's very true. Like, I think you really, really have to love what you're doing. And I think fear can get in the way. And sometimes it's the fear of failure. Sometimes it's the fear that you're like, potentially so amazing and powerful. It's the fear of the success that kind of stops you doing stuff. I don't know how true that is. I have to say, I buy that. It's not the fear of success as in like, oh, no, things would be terrible if I was successful. But the more you exaggerate quite how good success would be, the more high stakes it is, and therefore you're more anxious, and therefore it's safer not to do anything. That's the mechanic I've like identified in myself. There was someone I wanted to pitch a podcast at who's very well known. Who is it? Not telling. I did do it in the end, but it took me a while to do. And I didn't know why there was this anxiety. And it was because in my head, I was like, oh, if this lands, I'm just sorted. And that created the whole anxiety and maybe I'm not ready or maybe I don't have the right equipment or maybe I don't have the perfect cell. And the higher the stakes and the more likely you think something's going to be incredible, the more reasons ironically you find not to do it. Yes, because you get overwhelmed, I guess. And you start thinking of all the things that could go wrong. I guess it could be like embarrassing or humiliating. Yeah. And I think the point is, there's always lots of reasons not to do something. There's very few things in your life you're going to have no reason not to do. There will always be genuinely good, reasonable excuses to not do something. And you kind of have to just go, yes, I hear those reasons, but also I'm doing it anyway. Well, exactly. There's something about being in the comfort zone. Staying in your comfort zone is comfortable, hence the name. But that's not where you achieve anything. And that's not where you grow. And we're all about growth here. It's true. And persistence is kind of interesting because it implies a level of discomfort. And the reason it implies a level of discomfort is half the time things are good and half the time stuff's crap. To be persistent, therefore, necessarily includes sticking with something when it's crap, which is necessarily uncomfortable. And letting things grow and being iterative and accepting all of that. It's hard. It's really hard. Yeah, it is. I think it really depends what you're doing. And that, I think, does come back to you when you really, really love something that you just kind of will persist. Just kind of thinking about handstands because that's what I was doing this week. I was there thinking holy fuck, like some of these exercises were just like, oh my God, like I've done them all before 
and they're uncomfortable, they're hard work. And you're like in that position, working really hard, just like, oh God, how much longer is this going to last? And then the coach is like counting really slowly. <laughs> losing count. You're like, oh my God, hurry up and count. Your shoulders are crying. The relevant body part is crying. You're like, oh my God. But you know that you have to do that in order to make the progress to do the thing that you want to be able to do. You have to go through that process. You have to be persistent in that moment in order to push through to get the strength, to get the position, to get the neurological pathways working between body and brain. You know, all that stuff has to happen. Like you can't achieve a handstand, for example, without going through a shitload of discomfort. Yeah, the thing is, there's always barriers to entry to doing anything cool. That's almost by definition what makes it cool. Otherwise, everyone would do it and it wouldn't be cool. So there's always barriers to entry and those barriers to entry are by definition kind of shit and difficult and uncomfortable. You have to pick which barriers you're happy to feel irritated by. It's funny, like so much stuff, it's not even clear what to do in terms of strategy or route. You have to figure it out. Because again, if there was like a five-step plan to doing a handstand or a five-step plan to making a business or a five-step plan to whatever the hell, everyone would do it. And like, I'm increasingly realizing that doing anything actually cool requires, by definition, a little bit of discovery. I think there are certain things that are mapped out and people have to want to do it enough that they actually do it. Yeah, so you're right. So I was about to say, like, I've got lots of friends who do positions professionally that are incredibly mapped out, be it law or finance or whatever it is even medicine also absolutely and you're right that is definitely a type of thing that you just have to want to do enough but there are more doctors or lawyers than there are i don't know like famous trapeze artists or something and maybe i'm just using the word cool loosely maybe what i mean is if you're trying to do something that's slightly unconventional part of the nature of being unconventional is there's no clear path i say that there is clown school there's a really famous clown school and i've got friends who went to clown school hugely competitive, as competitive as the top drama schools. You know, if you graduate from there, the BBC effectively is straight out of it. Amazing. Life skills that no one really gives a shit about anymore, huh? Well, like juggling. Yeah. <laughs> My boyfriend's learning to juggle. That's dead on. That's just totally on brand. <laughs> There's something about like the hand-eye coordination that he's working on. And I've had a couple of goes and I'm just like, fuck this for a game of soldiers. It's so not my vibe. Give me a handstand. I've never heard fuck that for a game of soldiers. Is that a generational thing? <laughs> Probably. Oh God. I've just made myself seem really old. <laughs> the one that I've heard that also sounds quite old is like, if two people are having a fight, it's like, oh no, no. That was a little bit of off the ball. How's your father? Ah, I love that one. I like it because it plays it down. So like often in the football context for fights, they call it handbags. Like, oh, ladies have got their handbags out. Like, oh, there's a bit of handbags. And it's kind of like, it's supposed to be like slightly nonsense fighting. And this is kind of the opposite. This is when there is proper fighting. You go, no, no, no. Just a little bit of off the ball. How's your father? A bit of a catch up. Anyhow, I think we digress a little bit there. Do you reckon? Yeah, I do. I do. How's the shoulder now? You know what? Shoulder is much better, but it was a little bit scary Simply because, and I think I'm not the only person that does this, and I think <laughs> the irony is that I'm someone who talks about injuries and I'm someone who talks about how to manage one's own injuries, yet sometimes when I get my own, I fucking freak out about them. And I'm like, I must remember what I say to other people and apply those same things to myself. It turns out they're not the same game, unfortunately. Really? Yeah, it sucks. I'm running into what you're expressing, which is just, it's 
easy to say something that's quite hard to apply to your own life. Everyone's incredibly wise when it comes to other people's decisions. Oh, aren't we all? Yes, yes, we are. Yeah, you don't have all the nonsense running the show subconsciously, so you can just be really like pick through and make like what appears to be the right choice. Whereas when you're making your own decisions, you're being secretly governed by everything apart from the thing you're expressing to someone else. <laughs> exactly. So I freaked out and started thinking about, you know, the future, what this means for my future few months of potential loss of flying trapeze. Does that affect your livelihood? Can you still... Can I live and make money without doing flying trapeze? I was wondering whether it's affected areas <laughs> other than flying trapeze, to be specific. <laughs> no, I can teach movement just talking if I need to. It's a lot harder, but I can do it. Right, okay. And you haven't at this point monetized the biannual flying trophies. <laughs> Damn it. No. I don't know how. I would love to. Sometimes I wish I could run away and join the circus. But anyway, I think those days are long gone. So anyway, yes. Little freak out, thinking, uh-oh, what does this mean for the next few months? And basically what happens is in those kind of situations when you're freaking out about your pain and you're stressing about it and you're worrying about it, it amplifies the pain and it makes the pain worse because various centers in your brain kind of start talking to each other. Fear amplifies pain and stress and worry amplify pain. I then went to see an osteopath. I actually wanted to see a physio. I probably shouldn't say that. That's the truth of the matter. Couldn't find one available in the emergency that I was having. So you reluctantly lowered yourself to the <laughs> the, the subclass of professionals. I'm so sorry, all the osteopaths. <laughs> well, Ames, what is it about them specifically that you don't respect the most? <laughs> oh, oh, shit. Do we have to go there? Yeah, but we're doing it. We're here now. No, I think osteopaths are wonderful. I just think sometimes, and I think this is probably the case for people who graduated longer ago, new information has come to light. So for example, this osteopath told me that my pelvis was wonky, like the, the one side is higher than the other. And I kind of know that, like I've seen it myself, like, yeah, I look a bit wonks. What's a pelvis? Silly question. A pelvis is the big bone that attaches your legs to your torso. Oh, the one with your hip bones. If we're being really pedantic, your hip joints, it's a ball and socket joint that is part of the pelvis. Your thigh bone, your femur, attaches to your pelvis at the hip. Yeah, but the idea of sounding disappointed with your hands on your pelvis doesn't sound quite as... It sounds proper shite. You have a wonky pelvis. Yeah, and he was kind of saying certain muscles were not firing and all that kind of stuff. And that, I guess, like, I find that quite frustrating because I've just had, like, different information. This is going to sound a little arrogant, and I don't mean it that way. It's just, like, I've imbibed new knowledge, I guess, over the years since I've qualified that basically says, like, wonky pelvises and asymmetries are kind of so normal that it's not worth really considering them unless it's really dramatic. Even if they're normal, might lots of people not just have certain things that aren't firing? Okay, it's all kind of very contextual. So there's a whole big thing in the kind of movement world that like glutes don't fire. So the big bum muscles don't squeeze or contract, which... Speak for yourself. <laughs> ...is blamed for all sorts of ills, which actually ain't so true. And people link it with lower back pain and say, oh, you know, if you strengthen your glutes, then you'll have no back pain. Or if you strengthen your core, then you have no back pain or all sorts of nonsense, which sounds like it makes perfect sense. 
And there was a time that I believed that to be true until I realized that it kind of isn't. We're just talking about back pain, for example. Like back pain is very complex and it's also non-specific in many cases. So hence the term non-specific low back pain. There are just so many different things that can feed into pain much more than whether or not your glutes are firing. But they're sexy, right? They're the bum muscles. Like, no wonder people love them. And, like, you do squat, deadlift, and do all sorts of cool stuff at the gym, and you get a nice bigger bum, you get this nice peach. Yeah, but objection. I recommend people into bums. They're not into the bum muscle. They don't think of it as a muscle. Oh, some people do. Oh, yeah. On the gram, people who love to move, people who kind of work out, like, they're all about the glutes. The glutes, the glutes. Oh, my glutes aren't firing. Something severely bad has to have gone wrong for glutes not to fire. I remember hearing this a long time ago. Like if you sprain an ankle, you lose your range of motion of a thing called dorsiflexion, which is basically where you're trying to lift your toes towards your shin. That's a dorsiflexion of the ankle. Because you've sprained your ligaments around your ankle, it's difficult for your ankle to go into that position. And so when you're walking, because the whole, <laughs> the whole mechanics of walking, because you have reduced dorsiflexion, in a particular part of the walking, the gait cycle, where your leg is kind of behind you, where your glutes would be firing in that moment, if you have a sprained ankle, then your glutes aren't going to fire as much because you can't generate as much dorsiflexion in your ankle. So that's just a relationship between the ankle and the hip, which is highly technical. Yeah, it's all good stuff here on the pod. It's only the most accessible content for the gang. <laughs> And all fun and games. But, you know, there are some people who are very interested in this stuff, Jamie. So, you know, we have to appease them. Yeah, whenever I hear appease, I think of Neville Chamberlain. Oh, really? Why? So you heard Hitler kicking off in Central Europe and Neville Chamberlain was like, appeasement, appeasement. We fucked it with the Treaty of Versailles. We were too harsh. So we're going to let Hitler remilitarize the Rhineland and expand and sort of kind of be dicks. And they pushed it and pushed it and pushed it. And that was the appeasement. And that was the consensus. Where are we? Sorry, where are we here? <laughs> We're in the Third Reich. <laughs> We're in the Third Reich, apparently, yeah. And then eventually Churchill was like, no appeasement if you invade Poland, we're going to war kind of thing. The quirk of history, we don't think about this enough, is there was this famous telegraph front page with a little bit of white paper. And it was like the white paper for peace because Neville Chamberlain had basically got together with Hitler and gone stopping a dick. And he went, okay. And then we thought that was set and like he was going to stop remilitarizing but never did and i have no idea how we got here sorry oh appeasement yeah so i think i think of appeasing is like something that's about to cause world war ii okay well hopefully that won't happen if we appease the biomechanics nerds amongst us <laughs> hey, it's the butterfly effect you know like <laughs> yeah let's swing back to the osteopathic experience so basically he did some stuff one of the things that he did was like rub the saw bit a shitload and it was incredibly painful and I was like oh, oh my god I'm gonna like I need to like hold on to something because it was so fucking sore it kind of felt kind of vaguely better after that but then it also like felt like my saw bit had been pissed off even more and then I took a day off the handstand training just to let things just chill out for a bit I thought you know let me be sensible a little bit here it's very tempting for me not to be sensible about these things but I thought no let me just take my own advice and so I took a day off like it was really mega sore but actually now it's kind of okay and I think it was like a combination of all of those things it was a combination of me allowing myself to rest and then also try not to freak out 
and thinking, okay, well, how can we turn this ship to gold? If I can't do flying trapeze, what am I going to do instead? And I think those are the kind of the things that we need to ask ourselves when we do have an acute injury. Okay, well, what can I do now instead of the thing that I was expecting myself to be able to do? Especially where acute injury, the main problem with it is, is I can no longer do X, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, where is it now liberating you to do other stuff? Sometimes that other stuff is like boring shit, like clearing out your wardrobe. But sometimes that stuff needs to get done and it doesn't get done if you're so busy having fun doing the stuff that you love to do. Sometimes it can be a blessing in that way because it then gives you the clearance of the wardrobe, which then gives you a kind of mental clearance too, which then could potentially help you heal, maybe. Yeah, it feels abstract at the end, but I take the general thoughts. <laughs> cool. So I think, you know, focusing on, okay, well, if I can't do flying trapeze this summer, what am I going to do instead? And I didn't actually come up with an answer, but I didn't need to because the shoulder actually came fine. <laughs> no way. And that rounds off the tail of the shoulder. I know. I like how underwhelming. No, no, no. It's like the hero's journey, right? Like, isn't the hero's journey like the treasure was inside the whole time? Like, Well, it's kind of like the alchemist. I'm embarrassed to say. <gasps> you haven't read The Alchemist. Okay, your homework for this week, Jamie, is to read The Alchemist. Like, I mean, you can listen to it probably in like four hours. I don't know how long the audiobook is, but it's such a sweet book. Yeah, I mean, that's Saturday Night Sorted. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, and he talks about like a thing called Beginner's Luck, which I was going to refer to when you were talking about something about persistence earlier. So sometimes when we do something for the first time, it turns out to be like we kind of are sometimes quite good at it or we find it quite easy. We sort of like have an amazing turn of like, wow, I didn't think I was going to be able to do this first time. And in the book of The Alchemist, he calls it beginner's luck. And that beginner's luck often is a thing to just like entice you in to do the thing. And then you have that experience and you're like, oh, amazing. And then you kind of hit the reality of the thing. And you're like, oh, shit, actually. Working on handstands is actually bloody hard work. And takes ages. Yeah, I love that point. You just think it's going to be way easier because you've had an experience that was... Deluding you. Yeah, and then you're humbled to the process of what it's actually like and you find out whether you want to stick with it. I think that's maybe how phases start too. You try something and you're like, oh, this is amazing. I'm really good at this. Yeah, exactly. And you sort of go through that motion of dipping your toe in and then realizing, actually, it's a lot harder than I thought it was going to be and I don't actually want to do this after all. And I think that's cool, right? Like we have to kiss many frogs before we find our prince. And the same goes for hobbies, life stuff, university degrees, vocations, etc. And lovers. <laughs> and lovers. Yeah, people who have a bias towards doing stuff rather than thinking about stuff. I don't know anyone like that, by the way. They end up doing better just because they end up working themselves out a little bit quicker because they just have more opportunity to receive feedback on whether they like stuff or don't like stuff. It's a good system. I'd recommend it. Yeah. Well, Gary V says that, doesn't he? He's like, try lots of stuff. Like you don't have to have it all figured out before you're 30. You know, try lots of different stuff. But anyway, you do eventually have to become persistent at something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's just you want to give yourself the opportunity to work out what that is probably. Yeah. And sometimes it's very obvious, you know, like the things that you're not even like fully conscious of thinking... I must do this thing, but you just do it, right? It comes down to values. Yeah, the stuff you end up procrastinating towards is the stuff that you actually would just rather be doing. Really? Oh, yeah. So like, so I've got some work to do and I'll procrastinate by having a chat with my friend or playing some chess online. Oh, lo and behold, those are values for me. Yes. And if you are procrastinating, then are you being consistent and persistent 
and patient because it's all like there are the 75 p's we have persistence patience how's that different to persistence perseverance i've forgotten the other one 75 p's to get through we got three and two of them are the same (laughs) but yeah like those are the things that apply to any progress success of any sort of like handstands i like the idea that there are two sets or categories of things to be successful in this handstands and everything else <laughs> exactly but like handstands are life and they are very much a metaphor for life but not just handstands i think any skill or any kind of movement skill it's just because i'm a little bit obsessed with handstands they can teach us so much we require the four p's of success which are patience perseverance persistence practice okay that is a great place to end it thank you everyone for listening for yeah move on with amy's 11 i'm jamie and i'm not sure exactly what today was about but here we are <laughs> i'll see you guys later thanks that was get to move on with amy slevin if you enjoyed that we'll be back next week with a slightly different topic and if you didn't enjoy that we'll be back next week with a slightly different topic thanks for listening <laughs>